This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, uh, well, welcome to the... Uh, Chelsea Supporters Trust virtual general meeting. I'm David Chidgey, and for those of you who don't know me, I look after all of the PR, media, and communications. And uh, with another hat on, I also uh, run and do the Chelsea Fancast. And the Chelsea Fancast are uh, hosting the Chelsea Supporters virtual general meeting because we have the capacity to broadcast it live via something called Mixler, which is an internet web streaming site. So uh without further ado um oh i should tell you really about asking questions i mean one of the one of the ideas behind doing a virtual meeting uh, as opposed to doing our preferred uh special general meetings which we tend to do in a pub after the game is that this actually affords the opportunity for people who can't make it uh to uh the pub where we have our meetings after the game they may be overseas or they live outside of london or have other commitments but it basically allows them the opportunity to hear what certain people on the board have to say and of course it enables you to ask questions on Mixler so if you post questions in the Mixler chat room then I will take a note of them and I will put them to whoever it is that you wish to ask them to. Briefly we would prefer to have face-to-face meetings we've always tried to have three a year and then one VGM it's been getting the room that's been the problem we've lost the Fimbra because they have other events trying very hard to Debbie particularly has tried very hard to find other venues we're hoping to do something for the end of the season. The problem we have is only three games left. Man City, which I think is a Saturday evening. Spurs, which is a Monday night. And Leicester, which is the final game of the season, which is a Sunday afternoon. So we may do something around that. We'll have to see. It isn't for lack of trying. I do apologise. that We've had some emails on the subject from people who would far rather do stuff face-to-face. We, I, I would make the point that it's getting the balance right between face-to-face, doing uh, VGMs like this, and also using other other media, using the um, Chelsea Fans Channel, which we've, we've done uh, once and we'll use again, getting messages out through the newsletter, using the fanzine, whatever, whatever the media is, you, you getting actually stuff in the press. It, it's using all of those, but then you can't beat actual dialogue with signed-up members. So we, we take it on board. We've done our best. We will We will keep trying to identify a suitable venue. Right, next issue is ticket pricing, which given the last our last um, SGM was late November, it's probably the biggest 
developments since then is the club announcement about the um, frozen ticket pricing, which is welcome, although I think it's probably expected. And although Chelsea have done it, I think nine of the last 11 years have been a freeze. What they need to bear in mind is that is against the backdrop pre-Abramovich of price increases significantly above the rate of inflation for about 15 years, which have priced out a whole generation really of young supporters and also a number of long-standing supporters who cannot afford to go. Now we've made this point to the club and they know that and I'll talk later about the challenges and the opportunities around the temporary stadium and, and the redevelopment. The Premier League cap, £30 cap for away fans is interesting because although obviously it's a good thing ironically for people like me who've got away season tickets and will save you know nearly £300 I think as a result of that it does mean that you're going to have people in the same stand paying half or paying two-thirds what people sitting the other side of a, a group of stewards are paying and that in some ways seems wrong so I think the issue for me is that the £30 cap is, is, a, is a good move it's the first time that the clubs have actually done something like this they've done the away fans initiative where they you know subsidized travel and to Chelsea's credit they've always subsidized by more over the season than the designated amount of, uh, of £200,000 and they've also done it for cup ties which uh, also fall outside outside the remit but it's not the end of the matter and I think you know credit to Liverpool supporters for their protest around the the proposed increases I think what we're seeing now is Manchester City fans starting to agitate around their Premier League ticket pricing and I think what you'll see is that supporters will start to realize that they have more power than they think that it is not good and I don't like the phrase but it's not good for the club brand to have demonstrations and live TV matches there are a number of sympathetic journalists to this particular cause I mean from our point of view we've been involved since we were set up with the Football Supporters Federation, particularly Cliff Auger, who can't be on tonight. He's done a lot of work working with other trusts, other supporters organisations and Football Supporters Federation towards this. I mean, they went for the 20s Plenty campaign, which I think we felt, although laudable, was probably unrealistic. And I think £30 is good, but I think there is more to be done in terms of home ticket pricing, maybe in terms of something around designating a cap on young people's pricing that type of thing because there's so much money coming into the game now through the tv the new tv deal that kicks in next season that the the clubs could actually afford to give tickets away free and still have bigger income than they did a few years back so i think from where we stand we're pleased with, with the cap but we will keep push, pushing and working with other trusts with other organizations to try and move that in, into home games. I think there's also been movement on FA Cup final ticket pricing, for example. I think the work that Arsenal Sports Trust have led, and we've, we've been to meetings with the, with the FA on this, around ticket allocations for cup finals and ticket pricing for cup finals is, is, is a positive move. It's unfortunate that Chelsea are no longer interested in this season's FA Cup, but it, it does show that proper dialogue, it's not just about standing outside a a ground shouting or standing outside a meeting shouting but if you if you have coherent discussions with with stakeholders then it can put pressure on it starts to it starts to create a movement and i i think there's more to be done 
be interesting to see where it goes. But the fact the £30 cap to me is, is a significant uh, advancement. I don't know if um, any of the other board members have got anything they'd like to add to that particular issue. In what respect, Tim? Well, just, you know, I mean, I, I, I've made, from, from where I see it, I mean, you know, we've we've campaigned on this with, with Chelsea and we've pushed more widely. It's just whether you, you think I've missed anything or any, any, any point anyone would like to uh, reiterate. No, I 100% agree with you, Tim. They should okay. be paying us to go there. I mean, you know, they don't need the money. They need us to create... <laughs> well, they should at the moment, certainly. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. And I think the, the away cap, you know, I think it's a recognition, again, of the importance of away supporters. And I think what's pleasing is that Chelsea are going to continue with the subsidised coaches and with some subsidised trains. And... I, I suspect they'll do a further subsidy on the odd, odd, odd match ticket. I know that Arsenal are knocking another four pounds off every every match ticket, but I think Chelsea's preferred route is through continued travel subsidy and maybe the odd ticket subsidy. Um, and unlike other clubs, we do do it. We've ran a train to uh, to Everton, which I think was was appreciated by the supporters there, given the last train back to London was 25 minutes after the match finished. So I think you know that there are positive signs that the dialogue that the pressure is starting to tell so you know that that's a that's a significant issue it got a lot of media coverage i think there'll be more to come with individual clubs and more widely i know mean, there are issues that are chelsea specific the uh, temporary move and the stadium redevelopment chelsea specific ticket pricing partly chelsea specific but also it's about putting pressure on the premier league putting pressure on the fa around ticketing. I think in terms of European ticket pricing, that's probably something when more needs to be done. Clubs seem to have an extraordinary amount of discretion to charge what they like for games. It's more difficult to campaign because getting into the power brokers at UEFA is even more difficult than doing it with the Premier League or the FA. But I sense, you know, that Manchester City are, are agitated. We were fed up about ticket pricing in Paris. I think there's there's sense that other Arsenal fans in Barcelona. So I think that then that may be something to watch. It's, it's it's ironic, of course, that this happens at a time when Chelsea certainly won't be in the Champions League next season and in all probability won't be won't be in Europe. But I think that is somewhere where going forward there's there's opportunity for for, for a lot of work to be done. Tim, um do you, do you sense uh or do we do do we as a trust have any sense of how malleable the, the the Chelsea board are or how receptive they are to uh, reducing ticket prices over the longer term well we've we've already written to them um, around the temporary stadium and the the challenges there in terms of ticket pricing and also the new stadium that it's a one-off opportunity for young supporters and to bring back, if you like, some of the support that, that's been lost simply because of uh, of price hikes, you know, in the particularly in the 1990s. Now, you know, they they always say that they listen and that their announcement of the price freeze and the and the £30 cap included <laughs> statements about, you know, we listen to what supporters say and the fans forum and blah, blah. At the end of the day, all we can try and do is convince them. I, I think... The Premier League one, it was it was wider. It was across the Premier League, and there was pressure put on across the Premier League. 
So I mean, all we can do is keep talking and where appropriate, apply pressure. I think there is a time and a place certainly for protests and campaigns, but I don't think, you know, there was talk misplaced, I think, of, of trying to organise a walkout at every Premier League game one particular weekend. I'm not sure that would work. And if it didn't, then you'd be mocked in the media and the Premier League would dismiss you. So you have to get it right. But I do think they listen. They probably listen harder now, maybe, than they did three or four years ago. I, I mean, one thing I would add to that, sorry, uh, guys, and I can I can hear myself coming back through your speakers, Tim, so I wonder if you've got your headphones in. But, you know, the, the one thing I would say is that, uh, you know, if there are more... Uh, shall we say, reactionary supporters uh, out there doing walkouts and stuff like that. I mean, even if we don't do it, we can use that to our advantage because I think the one thing that the, the recent protests showed was that there's a general dissatisfaction with ticket prices and, and clearly it, it got out into the media in a very, very big way and that will draw attention to all clubs' boards that this is a serious issue. So whether we do it or not, I think it would still help our cause even if we choose to do it in a more... Um, should we say calm manner? Yeah, well, I mean, Cliff and I were at a meeting with Premier League, Trust from across the Premier League, and there was a, it would be fair to say, there was a disagreement as to the effectiveness of, of walkouts. And I think it's fair to say that one or two clubs, they felt that mass walkouts were the way forward, and ourselves and one or two others felt that it probably needs to be more nuanced. But, you know, what Liverpool did was good. It was it was extremely effective for them, and I think it got the the great thing was it got the issue all over the back pages of the papers, and that you know that you can't buy that sort of publicity. So that was fantastic. Excellent. Okay, right. Um, the the next issue is the Brompton Cemetery project. Now, this is something that that Cliff has been working with Rick Glanville, the Chelsea historian and the club, and particularly the Friends of Brompton Cemetery. Now, there are a number of graves relating to the founders of Chelsea Football Club and other personalities at Chelsea in Brompton Cemetery. I mean, Brompton Cemetery has something like 50,000 graves or so, some, some unbelievable number, and they have received a lottery grant for, for doing up parts of the cemetery. But what we felt was that there were Chelsea graves relating to people enormous impact on the club's history and heritage and i think as a result of that and some of them they don't need anything seismic doing but they do need a good tidy up so what cliff and rick and brompton and the club have done they've organized on saturday this saturday at 11 o'clock a, a cleanup of the chelsea graves and these include founding figures of the club and one or two ex-players. Rick has found a couple of ex-players' graves that may not be ready yet to be to be tidied up. They may need more more work. But you know, Alfred James, the man who owns the Rising Sun, he he's buried there. His his is one of the graves that we're going to to work on. They're members of the uh, of the Mears family, and they're, they're, there's some others. Now, one or two just need to tidy up. One or two need a lot of pruning and what we're hoping is and i believe we will we'll get enough people to be able to make a real a real start and the idea is that every few months we'd have a working party and we'd go along and, and tidy up and as rick discovers more graves obviously the scope will be will be widened 
Now, it's this Saturday morning. We're meeting at the South Gates of Brompton Cemetery at 11 o'clock. We'll go on for two hours, probably maybe two and a half hours, certainly no longer than that. And then we'll probably go for a bike to eat or a drink or whatever. And I would, uh, you know, actively encourage anyone who's interested, anyone who's around to take part. We've, we're doing it deliberately um, on an international weekend so that we could actually choose the date with some certainty without uh, suddenly discovering we were playing at 12 o'clock on a, on a Saturday. So as I say, we're hoping we'll get sufficient uh, well we, we, i believe we will get sufficient numbers to make a start chelsea are providing all the gardening equipment so that's wheelbarrows rakes secateurs gloves and what have you the brompton people are very knowledgeable rick knows where all the graves are and i think you know it would actually be an enjoyable thing to do and it's worth and it's a worthwhile thing to do i think the heritage of the club is important i think it's it's increasingly recognized how important it is and i think this is one small step towards recognizing that and doing uh, doing something about it now i know i know debbie that you're you're coming along you're hoping to to take photographs and, and sort of cap, capture the the moment if you like C can i just add something to that actually yeah um, as well yeah please do richard please do um in a similar sort of vein um i sort of I remember, I don't know who was there, the uh, Peter Osgood sort of funeral when he was, his ashes were buried underneath the penalty spot. And um, uh, we were having a discussion uh, at the last meeting um, that the sort of grave slash tombstone that he has, uh, which is opposite his, opposite the sh uh, shed end penalty spot, um, is A, not visible to anyone, B, carry, uh, covered by advertising boards now, and C, ridiculously dirty. So um, we did uh, contact the club um, you know, with regards to this, and they are a promising to clean it up, and b, I think as a trust, we're uh, going to at least negotiate with them about moving it to somewhere where people can actually pay respect to it, rather than it just being hidden behind some Adidas advertising board. It just sort of, uh, yeah, comes into the sort of similar aspect with regards to sort of, you know, it certainly does. Graves. So yeah, no, I mean, no, I that think that, that's, of course, Oscar's even even more relevant than the founders, you know, to, to, to a lot of supporters. And I think that's a, that's a fantastic initiative, Richard. It's a shame it's been allowed to get like that, but we are where we are. And all you can do is, you know, try and try and get things to the way they should be. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, that's something obviously, um, you know, the, the board are going to have to, uh, you know, we should negotiate with the club. I think I already sort yep. of uh, casually opened up the dialogue. So um, yeah, we'll be sort of pushing that forward and hopefully and it moved somewhere where people can actually see it. <laughs> yeah, and of course it, it begs the issue. I mean, I, I don't think anyone's expecting when we go to a temporary home that the um, the Osgood statue and the various plaques and what have you are going to follow us. But I do think, and I would I would expect that in the, re the redevelopment that these would these would be appropriately uh, appropriately placed because the Osgood statue is. It's a meeting place for so many people pre-match who, who are hooking up and people meet there after the game. It's an iconic figure in Chelsea's history and, and whoever's, whosever idea it was, whoever persuaded the Chelsea board to put it there, and it may well have been Rick Glanville, I don't know, but whoever did it deserves a massive pat on the back because I think it makes a huge difference to that part of the ground. Okay. Can't disagree with that, Tim. No, no, I'm, no way. No, it's a good initiative, Richard. Thank you for for reminding me. I've I've forgotten that one. And it's all part of the wider issue around the heritage. And I think, mm. you know, Rick Rick is an active trust member, and I think you know we can work with him and the club around possibly other heritage heritage projects.
going forward. But the, the key one in the short term is the Brompton Cemetery one. And I would encourage anyone who's around or available on Saturday to come along, join us, and then we'll, we'll, we'll do the work and then we'll put a programme in place to maintain them once we've gotten to the, to the condition that we want. Deb, is Deb, Deb's going to be there? Yes. <laughs> is Deb's going to speak to us ever again? <laughs> I, I, I think either you need to turn your volume up, Debs, or get nearer to the mic because we can't hear you at all. Um, uh, can I just clarify as well? Um, there's difference between Rick and me. Uh, Rick, Rick uh, Glanville, isn't it? And yes. um, yeah. So Sorry, Richard. Rick, yeah, when yeah. I, I, I would call Rick Rick and you Richard. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I just wanted to make that uh, clear to the to the people yeah. listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Tim, I've got a question about it. I mean, sadly, I can't yep. be there because I've got uh, family stuff to do this weekend. But uh, will you all be going to the pub afterwards? I think it's fair to say we'll either go to the pub or cafe or something afterwards. Yeah, there will be, you know, and I think it's fair to say that the trust will put their hands in the pockets and buy a drink for uh, any tr any trust members who, who who come along. I think, you know, it's uh, it's just such a worthwhile thing. We've talked about it for a long time and fair play to Cliff and Rick, particularly for, for, for making it happen. And also the cooperation of the Friends of Brompton Cemetery. They're not an organisation you'd necessarily come across, but the people that we've met when we did the walkabout, very knowledgeable, very supportive of what we're trying to do. Yeah, okay. Sam, so, I can't be there, sounds good. You're yeah. gonna move on to the next point now. I am, right. The other one is, is a sort of update on the, the temporary stadium, the redevelopment and, and Chelsea pitch owners. Now, the temporary stadium, obviously, we're not going to get any announcement on it, I don't think, until they get planning permission for the stadium redevelopment. Talk was of us moving to a temporary stadium in 2017 for three years. Heard nothing to the contrary. Of course, you never know how long planning permission is going to take. It's always been mooted that there were three possible locations, which is, you know, as, as everyone will know, Wembley, Twickenham and Stratford. Um, I've seen people suggest that we play at Fulham or at Brentford, but I, I suspect that's not realistic because it's not been mentioned by, by the club. It's not been mentioned in the press. So I think we are probably looking at one of the, the three original locations. And I suspect, because I live near Twickenham, that the, the op local opposition will prevent it being there, although I may be wrong. So we're talking about Wembley or Stratford. Now, I don't know which it's going to be. I could hazard a guess, but I don't know. Um, but what I do know is that when Chelsea move there, they're likely to be playing in a bigger, or more, have more tickets to sell in a location that's less convenient to get to for most Chelsea supporters. Now, we've done some work and we're still doing, doing more work on the extra time taken and the extra cost of going to, travelling, for example, to Wembley or to Stratford. Now, anyone comes from Wimbledon or comes into Wimbledon currently it takes about 20 minutes to get to Fulham Broadway it would take an hour give or take to get to Stratford or to Wembley it may well take longer getting back and in addition to that of course there's the extra cost because if you you're suddenly going across London so you're you're incurring a cost that might currently be I haven't got the figures uh, exact but it's it might well be cost you about three pounds a game more. Now, if you have 25 games a season, that's 65, 70, 75 pounds extra that you'd be paying. Now, that's not 
a seismic amount of money, but it is an extra amount of money, which when you add it to the inconvenience and the fact that it's not our, we're moving away from our spiritual home, I think it's a big challenge for the club and a big opportunity to retain loyalty by making sure that they price the temporary stadium sufficiently to recognise the disruption and the extra cost and the, the, the botheration factor, if you like, and also to sell the extra seats because although Wembley is an iconic stadium, it's not as attractive a location as the Fulham Road and the King's Road and, and neither is Stratford. So they may struggle, I suspect, to sell, sell corporates and to the Thomas Cook tourist market. So my view would be, and I think our view and what we've, we've talked about, is that the club is a real opportunity to, to sell more tickets to young supporters, to reduce ticket prices across the board, and to make season ticket prices sufficiently attractive that people who currently have season tickets want to retain them. Because the concern I think we share is that there will be a drop-off probably of season ticket holders who will think, well, I, you know, I'm not going to make every game if we go north or, or, or east. Therefore, I'll buy tickets, I'll become a member and, and buy tickets, then get a season ticket when we come back to Stamford Bridge. Now, the problem with that, I mean, obviously the club like as many season ticket holders as, as they can, given, given the limits on them. But the, the, the problem comes if you have people who drop out and then want to come back. You'll have some people, and I was talking to someone on Saturday who lives near Wembley, hasn't got a season ticket, but will get one if we play at Wembley. I think there are other people who live in East London who would get one if we played at Stratford. And who gets priority when we go back to Stamford Bridge? So you've got issues around around that and I think and also people who buy a season ticket for the first time when we come back to Stamford Bridge because the, the figures we've seen are that there's not many more season tickets in the new ground at 60,000 than there are in the current one at 41,900 or what have you so the club needs to be absolutely clear up front what their policy is when we move back about who would get priority obviously people who current season ticket holders who renew at the new stadium, I would assume would get, get first. But it's not just in terms of getting the seat, it's choosing where you sit. So um, I think, and we've, we've, again, we've told them this, we're doing more work on this. We're, looking, we're doing a detailed analysis of extra costs and extra time. Um, and whichever, lo whichever location it is, it will be less convenient and more expensive for a large part of our support base. Not all of it, some people, will be ambivalent some people will actually prefer it if i could just follow on from what tim was saying um there are a massive amount of issues i think uh with the presumed move temporary move to wembley um but i think one of the ones that is overlooked as tim was saying is the is the actual transportation getting there for a lot of people uh it's going to mean a much longer and a more expensive journey yeah talking about yeah car parking i mean that's another issue is that both Wembley and Stratford have, have less car parking places probably than Chelsea. I know Chelsea don't have many, but people have their own preferred location. So I think there's a whole raft of challenges. And although it's over a year away, I think the, the, the role of the trust is to highlight these to supporters, to talk about them with our members, and to, to put them in front of the club 
so that the club are fully aware. No, they, the club aren't. They, they will be aware of most of these issues. I've got to make a... sure they think it through and have proper dialogue. And proper dialogue is not going to the fans for and, and telling them what they're going to do. That's not dialogue. That's information. Uh, I've got a question in from uh, from uh, Mike Sorensen, and uh, I'm not really sure what he means by this, but he says, oh, yeah. don't be a, a, a hypocrite about fan costs for playing in Wembley. Perhaps, Mike, if you could... Uh, post again on Mixler uh, and explain what you mean and I'll try and get Tim to uh, to explain well if, if it was aimed at Tim I'm not sure if it was but if you know if you could say that perhaps you could uh, elaborate and I'll see if I can get an answer for you or some clarification so yeah so that I mean I wasn't going to talk much really about the redevelopment because there's no further news but I think um, Richard on in terms of the atmosphere at the temporary stadium there will be it will be a challenge and it's an opportunity for the club to do something that will actually enhance the atmosphere at whichever stadium it is yeah um i mean obviously the the good thing about both the temporary move and the expansion is that in theory we have a more seats and b the seating plan is laid out differently meaning that even if you do put people in what is the closest possible seat to what they would have had at the bridge um there's going to be significant sort of areas of seats whereby people wouldn't be allocated meaning that in theory if people want to move they can move and not displace other season ticket holders so when we go to Wembley um, I'm actually sitting in the stadium now but um, I mean there's there's I've looked at the the sort of lower tier just almost sort of every day the sort of uh, deciphering whereabouts people could go um, you know the, the corners that we don't really have at the Stanford Bridge exist at Wembley and um yeah, there's a lot of scope for for that in particular, and it's something that I'd be working on personally, and obviously, um, you know, with the trust, one way or another. Um, go on. Sorry. No, carry on, Richard. Um, but I think it's it's a great opportunity. Um, I think um, it's something that um, the club definitely need to have us push though, because uh, if supporters don't push for, for for a little bit of leeway, you know, we, we're having a bit of change, then they'll just do the same old thing again or they'll do it their way and I don't think as much as the club are seemingly willing to help with atmosphere I think um, I don't think they would quite understand how to do it properly I think they, it needs people that that know you know how what it's like sitting in the shed end or the, whether or the west stand or the Matthew Harding lower week in week out to to know how to sort of get the atmosphere going yep sorry I, I lost you there but I think you've um, <laughs> and you know what you were going to say, Tim. Um, I've, got, I've got before you go on. I've got I've got an interesting point that Mike Sorensen's made on the on on yep. Mixler, and uh, yep. he he basically uh, said, "Don't be a hypocrite about fan costs for playing in Wembley. The costs can be less for some fans and more for others, so the fan costs are not relevant. Uh, playing in Wembley is a great opportunity for Chelsea marketing too. Um, how would you respond to that?" Well, I, I think it is. I mean, the first thing I would say is there's no guarantee it'll be Wembley, but assuming it is... I have a very good friend who lives in Wembley. For him, it'll obviously be easy because he can walk there. So, you know, for him, his costs will be considerably reduced. But what I will say is it's it's a well-known fact uh, that actually most Chelsea supporters live in a corridor pretty much between the M4 and the A3 uh, going out of London. So... Uh, I mean, that's exactly why, for example, the club opened a club shop in Kingston, because actually Kingston is deemed to be the epicentre of most Chelsea supporters. So, of course, shifting it, you know, all the way up to Wembley will make it harder to get to and it will make it uh, more expensive to get to. Now, that's not actually putting up forward an argument to say, well, we shouldn't go to Wembley, we should go to Twickenham. 
because I don't think Twickenham's realistic. I think the argument is is that you know it, it, it being that it is going to cause an awful lot of aggravation to a lot of supporters who have been used to accommodate and go to Stamford Bridge, then that needs to be reflected in the ticket prices. And I think you also have to ally the fact that they're going to have to be selling, I think, 50,000 tickets as opposed to the, the 40 odd that they do now. So they can't take it for granted that people will just turn up like they have been. So they really need to be looking at, uh, and I mean, you know, in a commercial sort of way, and you mentioned it yourself in terms of marketing, it is a great opportunity. But I think it's an opportunity to lower ticket prices, make it easier for youngsters to get there. They are going to need to dangle a few carrots. I don't think they can just glibly accept and expect that people will, you know, automatically go. I mean, that might sound disloyal. It might, might sound strange to you, and I accept that. But actually, they need to be realistic because they're going um, to have to be tempting people, I think, with, with cheaper prices. Richard? Um, I was to add as well, um, the the whole thing about Wembley, and I'm, I'm assuming that we're moving here, uh, I think it's probably the most likely outcome, but is the, sorry, I say here, um, the lower tier, the word, we'd only open the, the lower two tiers, I think it's 55,000 or something. The lower tier is uh, 33,000. The second tier is all corporate which is um, you know, Club Wembley. So they wouldn't sell those to general public. Uh, I'm, I'm almost certain that in any case, they would be open to a lot more uh, corporate hospitality tickets, which means they'd probably make more money than they do at Stamford Bridge from the corporate hospitality. So my, I would imagine that that would be an even, uh, you know, something even more to sort of suggest that they would be earning more money in the, you know, and, and be able to offer cheaper tickets based on the increased capacity and their increased capacity for corporate hospitality. Yeah, I mean, that assumes they can sell that many corporate tickets. Yeah, true. One thing I would like to see, the club must, there is software available where you can put in thousands of postcodes and it will work out the epicentre where the support is. And as Chid says, I think, I suspect it's Kingston and not far from Kingston. You then work out the average driving cost from there to whichever location we have, the average driving cost and the average public transport cost and those sort of things. And it's doing something around that, I think, is, 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 is feasible. I mean, I think the club... It is a challenge if they can market more corporate tickets. It's not necessarily all the middle tier at Wembley would have to be um, corporate because I think we get it's fifty thousand six hundred the first two the, the two tiers uh, at Wembley and the other the, the, the top tier would be closed because there's limitations to the numbers of events. And at Stratford, I think I assume if we went to Stratford, then we'd be able to have everything that um, that West Ham have. So you know. It's an interesting one. It's a challenge for the club, but you know our concern and talking to uh, support match-going supporters is that they're not financially disadvantaged by going, and that they're the inconvenience that they, most of them will suffer, and the extra time taken is recognised in the in the in the ticket pricing. But you know we'll see where we go. Um, the final thing on that on that is, is Chelsea pitch owners since the. Uh, SGM at the end of November we had the uh, Chelsea pitch owners annual general meeting which was surprisingly well attended about 150 people and it was a quite a lively affair now I mean the, the point was what's interesting is that I've been to meetings there in the past when there's been a lot of uh, anger I think at this there was a lot of people they certainly passionate but they, the point people were making was that they wanted Chelsea pitch owners to remain regardless of the redevelopment of Stamford Bridge. They saw it as a, lo a unique long-term safeguard. 
And I know that attendees at meeting aren't necessarily representative of the entire shareholder base, but it was it was it struck me that how widespread that view was. Now, we don't know what the club are going to do. They may do they may do nothing, or the the owner may may do nothing in terms of trying to buy the freehold Chelsea pitch owners. But they may you know they may come in if they do. I think it's fair to say that there will be a number of people, and you know the. Trust survey last year was pretty clear that people want the Chelsea pitch owners to remain. A number of people and organisations that would would campaign strongly for the retention of CPO, regardless of any uh, regardless of any redevelopment. Now, as I say, we don't know what the club are going to do, but it, there was speaker after speaker making the point. I think uh, Charles Rose, the uh, CPO chair, who's a, again another friend of the the trust and has spoken at trust meetings in the past. He, I think, will be initiating another... Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Cheech. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Ah, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy, I could cry. (laughs) Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Drive in terms of uh, Chelsea pitch owners' shares over the, uh, the, the the coming months, because I think uh, I, I own a share. It's one of the best investments of £100 I ever made, so I actually feel I've got a stake in the future, not of the ground. It was done by Ken Bates, who's much maligned, but he did it for the right reasons. And it, it turned out in 2011, you know, that what he did, it, it did with great foresight. So I think I won't prejudge what, what uh, the CPO board are going to do, but I think it's fair to say that it's likely there will be a drive for, for purchasing CPO shares. And I would encourage all Chelsea supporters, trust members to buy one. We don't, as I say, we don't know what the club will do and when they'll do it. But uh, the, the key thing for me is that the more genuine supporters own Chelsea pitch owners' shares, 
the more democratic uh, any vote would be on on the fundamental future of Chelsea pitch owners. So I would just encourage people. I know they're a hundred pounds, but there is a um, where you can pay in instalments. There's an instalment scheme. So I would inc actively encourage people to do that and to take take the opportunity to buy a stake in the future of of, of Stamford Bridge. Tim, um, because De poor old Debs can't be heard for some reason, and there's something wrong with her Skype, but she's in the Mixler chat room, uh, yeah. so we've suggested that she can comment in there, and I'll read them out. And kind yeah. of, kind of in response to to your question to her, she said it was a very good meeting. It was very lively and very much in favour of the shareholders keeping control of Stamford Bridge. Yeah, and we've had three questions from Nicole on the subject of well, it relates to Chelsea pitch owners, and I'll. I'll cover them now, I think, Chidge, rather Great than idea. at the end. Yeah. Great okay, idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But before you do, one, before you do yeah. Tim, I think what I might do is uh, drop uh, Debs out of the Skype chat because yeah. it's clearly not working. So yeah. and she can, but anything she wants to say, and I know she yeah. can hear us, um, yeah. anything she wants to say, I can see on the, on the Mixler chat room screen, yeah. so I'll bring her in, all right? Okay, that's fine. Yeah. The first one is the question is, how can the Chelsea Supporters Trust and Chelsea Pitch Owners ensure the focus of Chelsea FC is on football and not on business? Well, that's quite a tricky one to answer. I mean, the Chelsea Supporters Trust have a policy of not commenting on or talking to the club about on-pitch matters, if you like. Um, and obviously, some of the things we talk to them about are, are off-pitch, business-related, if you like, around, around ticketing, around the stadium, what have you. But I think... There is a concern amongst a lot of supporters that the club have lost focus recently and that the on-pitch results have maybe reflected that. I don't think it's an easy thing for Chelsea Sports Trust. And I would certainly, I will pass these questions to Charles Rose from the Chelsea Pitch Owners and he may respond in a future CST newsletter. But to me, the problem with modern football is, isn't just football, it is business as well. But the primary focus has to be football, because without football, you you, you have nothing. So uh, I think in terms of that one, it's difficult. I'll be interested to see what Charles has to say. But I think it's getting the balance it's, it's getting the balance right. And I'm not sure at the moment that the focus is, is entirely on football. Second question, what can I do as a CST member to help save our club? Is my one CPO share certificate when I buy it going to make a difference in saving our club? Well, yes, it is, because if every person that buys a, a share is another vote, it's another vote from a genuine supporter concerned about the future of Stamford Bridge and concerned about the future of the club. So, as I said earlier, I would strongly suggest that anyone who can afford it buys a, buys a CPO share. I'm, I'm heartened to know that a number of trust members have let us know in the last couple of months that they've done so, and I would strongly recommend that anyone else who gets the opportunity does the same. The final question is an interesting one. Would it be possible for rich players, ex-players, ex-Chelsea management and rich fans who love our club to pull their resources and buy back the club? Now, I mean, that again, I think what's interesting talking to trusts from much smaller clubs is that, you know, some clubs are supporter owned. I think Wrexham, Portsmouth, people like that. That's never going to happen at Chelsea, as it isn't at the top Premier League clubs, the, the value of the club. Now, you know, the owner will do what the owner wants to do. Now, you know, he's done some fantastic things for this club in terms of getting us 
from where we were in 2003 to sort of trophy laden last 12 years, last 12 or 13 years. So, I mean, and I don't think it's really the trust to sort of say that other people should come in. Obviously, if the, uh, a consortium wanted to come in and try and buy the club, it would be interesting to see what they did. But I don't, I sense that that's not really that likely. And I think, you know, other clubs have got far bigger issues than Chelsea in terms of that. And, you know, in terms of getting getting owners. So it's an interesting point, but I, 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 I don't ever see Chelsea being a fan-owned club. And I'm not sure, given the current situation, that any sort of consortium is likely to have an impact. Although, as I say, you never know. I mean, obviously, when we talk to the club, these are not those are not issues that we, we share. But uh, from what you sense, the club talk about the owner is in it for the long term. So you have to take that at, uh, uh, to a certain extent at face value. So it's an interesting question, but I'm afraid we can't really give a more, more sort of detailed answer on that. Right. I mean, I think, Tim, if you want to just summarise that, and, and I understand her concerns, and I think a lot of them are really down to what's been going on this season. And actually, I think uh, on a serious point, it picks up on, I think, a, a, a lot of what a lot of supporters feel, which is a... a a big, a bigger disconnect between the club, the players and the supporters that, that yeah. we've seen for years and years and years. But I think the, the fact about the CPO is, it is it's unique in football. We are the only supporters who can generally say we own the ground and we, we own the pitch in this instance. And that's the only leverage we have uh, against the club if they get a bit out of order. So actually, if you want to, you know, protect the future legacy of this football club as you know and love it then the best thing to do is to buy a, a, share, yeah. a, a cpo share absolutely i think we've had one question you talk about the, the disconnect between the club and the the um the supporters and we actually had a question some made it to me verbally uh, at everton have we have we the trust board made our displeasure known to the club regarding the pricing of player of the year type events the, the inability of most of the players to, to recognise supporters after another away defeat, or after away game, sorry, and the general lack of interaction between players and supporters. Well, we have. I think the, some of the pricing um, for some of these events is, is ludicrously high. We did make the point last year, and they did offer some... They offered the ballot for, for, for cheaper tickets. I, I personally would like to see a ballot for amongst season ticket holders or away season ticket holders or whatever around a, a trip to um, Cobham. And I, uh, a, a long-standing away season ticket holder suggested this to me some years ago, and we did raise it with the club. Um, and we we do make this point. I know at Fans Forum, they, they, they talk about the, the players recognising the, the supporters who've travelled and the, the home games as well, but particularly away games. So, and again, that's all part of, as, as Chidge says, of the wider feeling of disconnection between the, the supporters and the club and the players. And it, it is a frustration, but it's not just, to be honest, it's not just a frustration at Chelsea. The old days when the club, the players travelled on the train and, and drank in the buffet car with the supporters and drank down the eye field with supporters after the match are unfortunately a thing of the past. They're not going to come back, certainly not in well, the football's got players of the type that it seems to have now with the money and the ego that they have. But 
I think regardless of that, I do think there's more that the clubs could do about increasing interaction. You only have to see the queues in Kingston whenever a first-team player does a signing there to see how much interest there is from supporters, young and old, about getting a chance to meet their their heroes, if you like. And I don't particularly like using the word heroes, but I think it's probably probably relevant. But all we can do is keep making the point. It's very difficult. For we can't obviously we can't make the club do anything. They have to want to do it, and I think they do recognise it. But I'm not sure they're going to do much about it. Okay. Um, I'm conscious of time that we've we've overrun a bit, so I'll I'll, chidge, I'll probably rattle through things a bit. Where, where are we on the agenda now, Tim? We're, we're, now, we're just going to talk about the the perpetual delays in announcements of TV games. Good. Okay. Right. Yep. Now, one frustration that a lot of people, particularly away supporters, but not only away supporters, have is that the, the supposed minimum of six weeks uh, before deadline of announcing television games so that people can book time off work, book travel, what have you, is regularly broken. It was broken in April, and I wrote to Cathy Long, who is a supporter liaison manager at the Premier League, and said that I'm not, not you know, this, this goes on all the time. I, I highlighted away games where the price keeps going up. Swansea was the one, the case in point then. And, you know, then she came back and said, oh, we're going to do it. It's late and we apologise, but it's the TV companies and blah, blah, blah. But we'll do it next Friday, whenever it was. And they and they did, to be fair. So, our last game of the away game of the season is at Sunderland. It's currently three o'clock on a Saturday. There is a direct train on a Saturday if it's three o'clock. But there's no point in booking it because they won't and haven't announced the date. So I asked her when that was going to be announced, and she told me the end of next week, which isn't great, but that at that point they will announce the, the kickoff times for that game now because of Sunderland's position I think it's possible I don't know how likely it is that that game will be moved but obviously if it's moved to a Monday night then that has significant transport implications even a Sunday evening is not great for, for, for our supporters so I went back and said well that's all very well but we're not happy and as a result of this dialogue I've actually been invited in to discuss the matter and other issues further at the, at the Premier League offices because I know that other trusts have this issue but for me it's a fundamental that, that some of our most loyal supporters are just expected to, to mess around with work patterns, with work shifts, with family commitments and with booking more expensive travel than is necessary simply because the TV companies cannot reach a decision on which games they want to show. This issue isn't going to go away. I think it's a big issue that I think there needs to be more pan-club campaigning. But I am quite pleased that we are at least going to have face-to-face -face dialogue with the Premier League on this issue. So that's that one. Um, Chidge, I'll just... We've got sort of a few other issues, short, shorter issues. I'll, I'll cover those, yeah? And then yep, if there's okay. any more questions you've got, we'll cover those, yeah? Okay, no props. Right. Um, I think, I mean, we haven't got Debs. Um, one big thing we've talked about for a long time, the website rebuild is nearly complete and we will be launching it, I don't know exactly when, but, it, but in the near future. And Debbie has done an enormous amount of work to rebuild it, to make it more accessible because previously our, our ex-treasurer and he's, in fact, he's still treasurer, Stuart Kinner, has, has been the only person able to work on it. and it, it's obviously better if you've got two or three people that can uh, 
can access the website and also just refreshing it because it's it's three years old she's done a lot of work it will be relaunched soon and uh, I just want to say thank you to Debbie for that she's also our fans forum rep the next fans forum is on the 20th of April and if you have any issues you want raised at the fans forum and I know I have reservations about the effectiveness of this but there is dialogue there and Debbie does raise the po any points raised by our members she does raise at the meeting and she does make sure there's an answer so if you have any questions please let us know the, the inquiries at support chelseasupporterstrust.com uh, email and we will make sure that those are forwarded and raised at the uh, uh, the meeting so if you can do that any any questions i think probably by about 10 days before the but before the meeting i haven't got debbie here to, to to confirm that um a couple of other quick things our survey the annual survey which is the the, the cornerstone really of an awful lot of what we do um will be coming out we previously sent it out sort of mid-summer i think we're probably looking at to get it out earlier so that we can talk to the club about the results earlier because i think it's a different what differentiates us from a number of other organizations is we do actually ask our, our members what they think and, and based on that information it gives us structured dialogue with the club and they do recognize the results and we do when we talk sit down and talk to them we do get they do listen they do they do analyze it they do ask questions so it's an, it's an important tool for us and obviously it gives us a mandate for the following season in terms of, uh, of what our priorities are so it's just a heads up on that and also to say that as previous years we'll have the AGM the first weekend of the season which I guess is mid to late August on whichever day Chelsea aren't, aren't playing um, we've done it the last couple of years at the club we'll try and do the same again otherwise we'll be back into uh, location uh, issues but when we are obliged quite rightly to have a formal face-to-face -face annual general meeting it's in our constitution so we will make sure that that happens and an ally to that is is the election process for members of the Chelsea Supports Trust board I'm we've we've had some new blood this year I'm a great believer in in regeneration and I would encourage anyone listening who is remotely interested in, in possibly standing to the Chelsea Supports Trust board to talk to any of the board members about what's involved and, and, and how you go about the process. Um, I think that's probably the, um, the formal agenda. Richard, have you got anything you'd, you'd, you'd like to add? Um, <clears throat> well, just very quickly, um... Sort of, I know we sort of touched on it uh, earlier on with regards to um, the atmosphere. Um, I do intend on bringing it up, um, most likely to attach it to the agenda at the next uh, board meeting we have, because um, obviously we're getting closer to that potential move that we discussed uh, stadium-wise. Um, and obviously I know the trust is going to start to look at all the possible issues, and, and I think we're drawing together um, you know, all the sort of... Um, issues with regards to moving into the new stadium as well as the potential stadium. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, I do a lot of work personally uh, with regards to atmosphere and um, some of that does intertwine. But um, I mean, what, what I sort of want to do um, is in a similar sort of vein, create an outline uh, sort of all the key, all the key issues um, with regards to atmosphere and the possible improvements that the trust can sort of really get involved in, um, sort of maybe drawing up a, 
a sort of mini agenda with regards to that specifically aimed at um, the move. And I know that's probably something we'd, we'd be doing anyway. Um, but, um, I mean, obviously the trust has been involved um, with my uh, with my group as well. I know that they've um, quite kindly donated in the past, um, which has gone towards some of the displays that you've seen. Um, and also, um, yeah, obviously the atmosphere is hideously easy. It's easy to say, uh, you know, oh, we just need people to make a noise. It's probably one of the most difficult things to change. Um, and I think one of the key resources that the trust has is its uh, number of members. And from a personal point of view, um, I think tapping into that a little bit more and, and finding uh, even 10, 15, 20 people out of all the thousands of people that are trust members um, or hundreds of uh, people that are listening to these sorts of things that want to get involved, um, even just not even giving uh, an exact direction initially. I'm sure there's plenty of people uh, you know, who are trust members who are interested in this sort of thing. I think pulling together that sort of uh, that interest um, would be quite beneficial, um, you know, just to hear ideas, uh, things like that. So these are the sorts of things that I'm uh, hoping to bring up in the last few board meetings of the season and get sort of the ball rolling on. Um, you know, the, you know, as we said, specifically aimed at the uh, the stadium move um, and also moving into the, well, temporary stadium and the new stadium. <laughs> okay. Great. Th thanks. Thanks, Richard. I mean, as you say, it's easy to talk about. It's quite difficult to change. I think there have been some very good initiatives, which I know you've been involved in the last couple of years. And, you know, it is a big challenge going forward. But the club know the benefit of atmosphere. We have other board members who've talked to the club specifically on atmosphere issues. So, you know, they, they are, the club are aware. I've just had a, a tweet from Sid Celery, who some of you will, will know, giving me the exact detail on Wembley capacities. The lower tier is 34,300 and the middle tier is 16,532. So that makes 50,835 for the two tiers. And there's also 310 wheelchair spaces. So thanks for that, um, Sid or Harry, as you're also known. Um, <laughs> that's that's use, useful information. It's actually something we will take note of for future, future discussions. Right, we've had one more question, interesting one, saying, why don't the trust try and run trains to away games when the club are not running trains? Or why don't the club, the trust hire carriages? Now, we did talk early, about three or four years ago about this, and we found out that if you hire even one carriage of a Virgin train, that whole train has to be dry because it's, it's, it's designated then as a football special and it has to be dry. And, and clearly, Virgin are not going to want to do that with given the, the rest of the passengers. The reason Chelsea can't run trains to all the games they'd like to is not because they don't want to. I, I, obviously, there's some games like Aston Villa where there's loads of trains. But it, for argument's sake, say Sunderland gets moved to the Monday night. I suspect Chelsea would try hard to run a train. The problem comes when the train companies simply do not want to run the train. They cannot be bothered, even though they're guaranteed a profit. So if the club can't get, get that influence, and Thomas Cook can't, then the trust aren't going to be able to. And to be honest, I think the issues around hiring an entire train and the, the cost, the risk, the insurance issues and everything means it's something that we wouldn't, 
wouldn't want to do. And in terms of coaches to matches, to be honest, we couldn't compete on price with the £10 tickets, the coaches that the club do. I know there are other people run independent coaches and that's fine, but I don't see that it's something that the trust could realistically do. And certainly they wouldn't be able to compete with the, the club. And I don't really think it's for us to spend members' money sub running subsidised coaches that's still more expensive than other subsidised coaches. So it's, it's an interesting question, but it's not something really that we can, uh, we can necessarily take forward. Well, Chidge, that's that's the agenda. That's the, the half dozen questions. Is there is there anything? Yeah, there are. Have... There are. I mean, and I'm sure a few. I mean, we're on questions now, are we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, look, just a reminder for those that are listening, do get them in because this is now the time to kind of. Uh, I mean, basically, it's an opportunity for you to question any one of us on the board uh, about anything you want regarding the supporters and what we do. But uh, I've got a good one in from Gary uh, Gary Wilson, who says, "Do the trust ever meet or converse?" with European, say, German supporters groups, for example, at all. reason I ask is the German model from a fan's perspective is probably the best, arguably. I, I couldn't agree more, Gary. Uh, and the ideas of sharing ETC, you know, basically just communicating with each other. I think probably best for you, that one, Tim. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good question. The, the Football Supporters Federation and Supporters Direct, which we're also a member of, do have dialogue on a European level. I'm not aware of individual club dialogue, but it's a good point because, you know, I was talking earlier about issues around ticket pricing uh, and they must be as pertinent, you know, the, the, the price that Man City are charging at home, charge, the prices that PSG charging. So maybe that is the driver and it's certainly something that we can raise next time we talk, we're meeting with the other Premier League trust about opening dialogue with with German supporters groups, maybe Italian, Spanish, whatever, about issues of common interest. As I say, it's an irony that Chelsea won't be directly involved in ticket pricing issues, but there, there, there are almost certainly lessons to be learned from uh, from dialogue. You know, the supporters model in Germany, um, you know, issues in other clubs, and also, I think, getting the message across about how difficult it is for away supporters travelling to some of these places in terms of the treatment you get from the police and the, 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 the stewards. So any dialogue would be useful. It's a good point, Gary, and I will make sure that we raise it next time that Cliff and myself, Debbie, whoever, are sitting down with the Football Supporters Federation. So thanks for that. Uh, we haven't got any more questions at the moment, so uh, unless you've got anything else to say, Tim. Richard, we haven't heard from him for a while, um, but uh, no, no questions so far. So, Tim, and we could wrap it up if you like. Yeah, I, I think we'll wrap it up. I mean, I apologise for the, the technical problems. I've done uh, fancasts using exactly the same technology and I've done a number of other podcasts doing the same technology and never had a problem. So I apologise for the fact that I disappeared on a number of occasions and also the fact that Debbie couldn't get her her technology working. And it does show the limitations of, of doing this as opposed to being in the, the same room. But, you know, it's the best we could do and I'd like to thank Chish <coughs> making the Chelsea fancast facilities available yep. uh, we will try very hard to have a face-to-face -face meeting before the end of the season if we don't manage it it won't be for want of trying we are committed as I said to having an AGM face-to-face -face. we will do that and we will try very hard to identify a more permanent location a suitable one for next season 
Um, so can, can I can I add something yep. actually? As a, um, I think maybe one of the important things uh, to maybe say while we have people's attention is um, just I think the one thing we don't really I don't know whether we whether it's called boasting or, or letting our, our sort of members know is is actually um, how close perhaps the connection we have with not close not a close connection with the club but you know how how much how much dialogue we have with them um that you know there's an awful lot of people on the board that that have um you know a great dialogue with the club and i think a lot of that work can sort of slip under the radar to to members and i think it's um i think i think it's quite i think a lot of people you know put a lot of effort that perhaps doesn't necessarily get advertised as well because i'm not sure how we advertise it to be honest but um, you know, it's, it's. I think another thing as well is um, a lot of, you know, with all of the members that we have. I mean, it's great. Uh, you know, the sort of you know to get more involvement, and I think hopefully with a bit of a membership drive that we uh, hopefully will get underway before um, the end of the season, then we can sort of try and encourage more members. And if you know anybody that um, you know any sort of friends or supporters that you think would be interested in getting, uh, you know, involved in in the trust, you. Know, uh, don't be afraid to mention it to them. Um, you know, sort of send them our way because obviously uh, the more the merrier. And I think the more more people we have on board, the the bigger voice we have. You know, to sort of uh, take to the club. Yeah, uh, I've got. I have actually got a couple of late questions in, Tim. Which, I, yeah. I, being that we're here, I, I feel duty bound yeah, to, to fine, squeeze yeah. in. Um, I think Mike Sorensen just needs a little bit of a reminder because I think you did say this earlier on. But uh, uh, how many tickets will Chelsea have to sell if we do go to Wembley? Sid's figure was 50,830. Sorry, I'll have to get the, the text, but it, it's just under 51,000, I think. I'm okay. just getting the tweet back up. Okay, and of which, how many uh, go to kind of you know normal supporters? Because a lot right. of that will be called. L- lower tier, 34,303. Middle tier, 16,532. Now, I don't know whether they, the, how many of the middles here would be sold to, if you like, ordinary supporters. I think maybe there are parts that could be. I, I don't know. And obviously, you've got to have an away section, so you've got to have some seats possibly lost for for, for the split in those. But that's the, that's the capacity as it stands. The, the limitation, obviously, is that there's only so many events a year they can have that, that use the upper tier as well. It may be, if it is Wembley, that there are events, matches, that they can use the upper tier, but I suspect... They'd be few and far between. I'm not sure of the capacity at Stratford yet, and it may be that's because they haven't yet um, finalised exactly what that will be. But it would be a similar issue there. I mean, I think you get the whole ground, but the capacity, I think, is not dissimilar to the, 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 the Wembley one. Thanks, uh, Tim. I've got one in from the wonderful Mark Barfoot, who... Uh... Yeah, I know Mark. Hello, yeah, Mark. we all know Mark. Uh, Mark, for clar- <laughs> you know, just for other people who don't know who Mark is, Mark runs the Hastings Supporters Group, which uh, Mark will correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as I'm aware, is the largest English uh, official supporters group, and they do a great job doing what they do. But Mark's asked a good question. He says, is the club open to more free coverage in the match day programme or monthly magazine? Have we asked them, uh, for example, you know, promotional space free of charge in the two publications in recognition of the trust standing in representing the fans? It's a very good question, Mark. Thank you. That is a good question. It's, it's probably something that we should discuss at the next board meeting. I think we've talked about it, but we've never really taken it any further. I think the programme might be difficult, but I think the, the match, the, the, the non-match, I think, the monthly magazine, um, 
would would be would be interesting. And if you certainly if you don't ask, you don't get. And we I haven't mean, asked, to be fair to. We haven't asked. We're not formally asked. No, and I mean, we, you know, so just just to add my kind of spin on it, as it's kind of under the communications yep, remit indeed. in a way. Um, on the one hand, I think it's an excellent idea, and, and Tim's right. We haven't really asked them, uh, but I, I think either in the program or, or the you know the the big magazine that comes out, I think it would be an excellent idea. Obviously, we would communicate to far more supporters. Obviously. We're very keen, as Richard was saying, to to, to you know to grow uh, in terms of membership the trust as uh, as fast and as quickly and as voluminously as we can because the more people we have, the more of a voice we have, and I think that's absolutely integral to what we do. Um, whether the club would be open to that, I don't know, but we do have, as we've said throughout the evening, a very good dialogue with them that's been established over the last three years, and I think actually gets better and better the more we go along. Uh, the only reservation I have um, is that, you know, and this was, you know, pretty much mandated from the beginning, wasn't it, Tim? You know, that whilst we do have a good working relationship with the club and we do have good dialogue with them, we do need to keep some distance between us and some independence from them. And there, there is a danger that we would be seen to be very much under the wing of the club. Yep. Maybe not in the case of actually putting stuff into the magazine and the programme, although the, some may argue against that. And this is one of the reasons, going back to what Tim was saying about holding uh, SGMs, many people have said, oh, well, why don't you hold them at the club? And one of the reasons why we've not done that is, again, we want to, we, we do need to have a healthy, I think, distance between us and them. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why we don't do that. Yeah. But I, I would certainly consider that. I have, I personally yeah. have no problem in asking them that and see what no, they I, say. I, I think it's a good point, Mark. We will discuss it in the next trust board meeting in a couple of weeks and we'll, we'll, we'll take it forward and I think you make a good point Chidge about independence it's getting the balance right you want yeah. dialogue with the club but you do not want to be seen as club patsies no. or club spokesmen or genuflecting towards the upper hierarchy of the club I don't think we do but I think you need to be careful but I, I certainly think that the the program and the, the magazine is, is is certainly worth board discussion and almost certainly formal representation yeah. to the club so thanks I mean, for that, Mark. It, it also, as I said, I mean, you know, for me, and I think Richard particularly, who's kind of responsible for, for our membership drives, anything that we can do to increase our awareness to, to supporters outside of the means that we normally do it, I, I'm all in favour of. I mean, just talking yeah. on communication generally, generally, uh, Tim, just to kind of pick up on what we've all said, is that um, Tim's right. I mean, we, we much prefer uh, to have face-to-face -face SGM uh, meetings throughout the year. We're we're mandated to have four face uh, four meetings a year. One of which is the AGM. Um, it's proving increasingly difficult to do so, uh, and therefore a VGM is is a very good solution. I think now you know normally the technology works very very well. It has done for the fancast since we moved it to Skype. Um, but I think the other significant point is is that you know we do as I said earlier we do have a lot of members who don't live round the corner uh, near Stamford Bridge who do have responsibilities which means they can't hang around after a game and we also have a lot of supporters uh, members of the trust certainly who are from overseas and you know their chances of coming over here are very remote so I, I think whilst it has its limitations and I do appreciate that the main remit is to have face-to-face -face meetings VGMs have a place because it gives people who can't get to 
those meetings face to face or live overseas an opportunity to interact with people on the board and there's one thing that's absolutely fundamental to this board certainly in terms of its democracy and its transparency is that we are open to dialogue with the members you know where we are you know how to get hold of us and you get the chance to question us and grill us have a go at us if you need to or whatever that's massively important and on that final point I would say other than the meetings of course you can always get in touch with us by email uh, the emails are well known to people inquiries at uh, chelseasupporterstrust.com membership at chelseasupporterstrust.com and of course you know who most of us are and of course you can find us on Twitter and I can say this for certain when you email us you always get a reply from either myself, from Celia, from Debs and from Tim too so we like to be open and transparent and by all means get in touch with us if there's anything you need to get off your chest is that right Tim? And, and soon, yep. sorry, sorry to, and soon we'll, we'll have uh, bios up um, won't we guys um, we will uh, you know, sort of, uh, explaining sort of what we do and yeah. uh, you know, again how to get in touch with us that's going to be on the website launch I mean you did mention that Tim earlier didn't you that we're on yeah. the cusp of relaunching the website yep. yeah there we go so it'll all be in there too and I think you know communication is something what, what interested me I did a thing on the Chelsea fans channel talking about the, the, the new stadium and the, the challenges of the, temp of the temporary stadium and 11,500 people watch the clip on YouTube. And that's reaching, a lot of those people are not necessarily trust members, but it's, it's, it's always looking at, it's getting the balance, having the face-to-face -face dialogue, maybe on top of that, doing more VGMs, doing different sorts types of broadcasts, getting the message out there, because it's, as Chichno is far better than me, it's about the whole package. It's about reaching our members, reaching the club, reaching the media and reaching the wider supporter base. And the, the challenge for us is to do all of those and keep doing those. Mm. I mean, maybe one thing we could do, Tim, you know, I'm, I'm open, you know, the, th the thing about VGM, I mean, given that the technology works on the particular night, I, I accept that. But, uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm open to doing it maybe monthly if, 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 we, if, there's, if, if demand warrants it. And I mean, even, even if it's not necessarily an agenda-driven, uh, um, you know, meeting where... We've got a lot of information to convey, but I mean, to even just to open it up as a Q&A. Yeah, no, I, I, I would, I'm, I'm, I'm all in favour of that. And I think the more, the more of that we do, the more we reach out to people, give people the opportunity to, to question us and have dialogue, the better, to be yeah, honest. quite right. Okay. I'd like, I, I'm conscious it's, it's 8.30 yeah, now. time to Probably go, I think. To wrap it up. I think people who've been in from the start, I apologise for my intermittent ins and outs and the fact that Debbie couldn't get in but I'd like to thank Chidge and, and, and Richard for, for participating I'd like to thank you all for listening and hopefully we'll see some of you on Saturday at Brompton Cemetery Southgate at 11 o'clock on uh, Saturday morning okay thank you, thank you very, very much, much. Yep, thanks Cheers. it's the 90th minute all your mates around You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, 
turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.